0: 1st Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For he brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out, physically speaking. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and even perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life wherewith thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Mm. We'll stop right there. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would direct our hearts today. May we uh, be reminded or learn a precept or two that might be used for the glory of our Savior. Mm. Yes, it should benefit us. But when we are benefited by the Holy Spirit, it redounds unto the glory of the one who saved us. Bless, we pray, for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Let's think about an attitude this evening. One that's referred to a couple of times here in a positive sort of way, but also negatively. Let's particularly look at the attitude of discontentment, discontentedness, discontent. I don't know which word to use. All three of them, I guess. Being dissatisfied. Can we put it that way? As we begin, people may be thinking, you know, this is going to be a negative message. There will be some negativity to it, because we are not supposed to be satisfied in anything sinful. And Paul refers to that sort of thing right here. But at the same time, there are other aspects of discontentedness that are positive, that we should pursue in other words, this is a subject which has to be, has to be approached with both eyes open, perhaps with a, a little extropia, with each eye looking in a different direction, so we get them both right in there. Whoa. I had to look that up. <laughs> I'm impressed. And I don't know if I pronounced it right. <laughs> Did I? All right. Whoa. Lady whose doctor, whose father's a doctor of eyes, says, says it's okay. In some areas, discontentedness is one of the world's biggest cancers and deadly. Do you remember young Absalom, the son of David? Discontent got into his blood, and it killed him. Absalom was going to be king one day if everything went according to plan the way things usually did in that sort of situation but this young man was not satisfied with sitting and waiting for the natural death of his father he wanted the throne right now he was not content with being the prince so he took matters into his own hands and it backfired and he was the one who died another example is Balaam The hypocrite who claimed to be a servant of Jehovah, but he was not content with what blessings the Lord had given to him. He wanted more. He wanted the wealth of the world like some sort of TV, cable TV evangelist. He wasn't content with just being a servant of the Lord. We could create a long list of Bible people who in some ways were not content with their lot in life. We could start at the very beginning. Eve, don't you want to be like God? We could go on with uh, New Testament people, a dozen uh, kings, Judah and Israel, uh, Judas, Ananias and Sapphira, Diotrephes and others. Discontent is a lack of satisfaction with the situation with the things that the Lord has given to us, with the opportunities the Lord has given to us, it occurs because of the latent genetic defect of our depravity, which sometimes takes over things, and we lose focus on what is right and what is godly. It is fed by unthankfulness. Look what you have pride, of course, worldliness, greed. It exhibits itself in covetousness. And with that, who knows where it would go. In the case of Achan, it was theft, which brought about the death of some and the the endangerment of a whole nation of people. And then there's Cain. It was outright murder in his case, fratricide. This this attitude of being dissatisfied with the things physically that the Lord has given to us is unreasonable in the Christian. When we remember who it is we're supposed to serve. Christians are not citizens of this world. We're sojourners. We're just passing through. Why should we desire to amass a great number of things when they're going to be left behind soon enough. We were prisoners. We were incarcerated in a Siberian gulag, and now we've been set free and we're going to warmer places where we can really live and enjoy our freedom. We're called to be servants of the Lord Jesus, not garbage collectors of the things of the world. We have been exhorted to lay up our treasures in heaven. In fact, we are agents of heaven, commissioned here to invest on behalf of our heavenly employer. So Paul is trying to encourage Timothy here in this scripture that godliness produces contentment. That's another scripture, but it ties together. And also Paul says in another place that contentment is proof of godliness. It's like a blood test which can prove to which family we belong. It is similar to, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love one another. To that we might add, if you are one of God's own, flee Financial covetousness. Flee the love of money. Paul cries, Run! Don't look back. Remember Lot's wife. Yes. Pillar of salt? Or would you rather to be turned into a pillar of silver? Pillar of gold? You're still a pillar. You're still dead. The apostle tells the child of God not to just Flee. But he tells Timothy, follow, flee these things, follow these things. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. In essence, we're told to be content with the way our physical lives are, but not to be content with our spiritual lives. It's not that we shouldn't uh, try to learn a skill. It's not that we shouldn't grow in, in the knowledge of the things of the world. Even to learn a new word from time to time doesn't hurt. But that's not our life. That's not our purpose. The Christian should learn to earnestly seek only the best gifts. And that means things spiritual. We have things to do. Things which ought to glorify the Savior. In the next verse, as Paul goes on, he tells us to fight. Fight can fighting can be defensive or it can be offensive. It can be good or it could be not so good. In this case, the apostle is speaking about conquering, attacking, prevailing. What do things two things What these two things boil down to is that in some ways we are not supposed to be content. In worldly, physical, temporal things, yes, contentment is a place of great joy. But woe to the Christian who is satisfied with his current passive spirituality. Woe to the saint who is pleased with what he's accomplished in the past and doesn't care what he's doing now or in the future. I've served the Lord in, in my, my younger days. Now I'm a senior citizen. I don't have to do anything. God is not pleased with the Christian who is satisfied with a minimum, mediocre, minimal spirituality. When should a Christian be discontent? The easy answer, at least verbally, is whenever the Lord is discontent, we should be discontent. Matthew 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Excuse me, Matthew 5, 3 through 6. Blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Mm -hmm. Who are not satisfied with what their heart contains now. Their hunger and thirst. What is it to hunger and thirst? Well, it's, it's our subject tonight. To be discontent. About what are we supposed to be discontent? Our personal righteousness our holiness, our service. We cannot be too good for God. We cannot be too holy. We cannot be too righteous. The world may say, you are too holy, but we're not considering them. The sacrificial lamb was to be the best in the flock, without spot, without blemish if possible. And that is the picture of what the Lord wants from you and me. God wants your life, sacrificed to him, holy and wholly acceptable. I don't know the precise state of even my own heart. Certainly not yours. But whatever it is at the moment, it is not perfection. Pretty sure of that. When are we supposed to stop thirsting after righteousness? In what forms should we stop searching for righteousness, growing in righteousness? Never. As Jesus stood before Lazarus' tomb, he wept. Others had been weeping for various reasons, but why did the Lord weep that day? until someone proves otherwise to me I'm thinking that it was because of the unbelief of those mourners many of whom were were servants of God disciples of Christ the child of God must never be satisfied with the degree of faith that he currently possesses there's always room for more faith stronger faith it's something that we need to work on Look at the saints mentioned in Hebrews 11. We've done that. Spent quite a bit of time looking at faith. Where do we fit into Hebrews chapter 11? Any of those verses could you take the trumpet and the lamp of Gideon and and run toward the Midianite hordes? Not sure I could. How boldly would you make your way into the fiery furnace or the den of lions? Where is your mustard seed of faith? We can only, I can only, I can barely touch the hem of this particular garment. From time to time, we can see that the Lord was discontent. When was the Lord dissatisfied with things? Well, as he was marching up toward a fig tree, expecting to find some fruit there, he was disappointed in that tree, to the point of cursing it. In a couple of his parables, he was discontent when his servant misused the talent given to him. The Lord wants to see fruit from us. Progress. If the Lord is dissatisfied with something, we should be dissatisfied. Despite the commands against discontentedness, most Christians are far too content in the things of the Spirit. I made a quick unscientific survey of the Bible looking for unrebuked discontent. I thought about Simeon in Luke chapter 2. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same was just and devout. So he's going in the right direction. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for the Messiah. The correction of the world. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. All of these things are good. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple... When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law. And Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Simeon was not a person to be satisfied with life until he could see the Savior. Then there was Moses. I want to see my God. He had experienced the power of God. He had seen the evidence of God. He had the voice of God ringing in his ears. But he actually wanted to see the Lord. In several places, Paul refers to praying for certain people that they might know God better. They might experience the love of God. Your knowledge and your understanding of the Savior, is it where it ought to be? Do you know the Word of God well? If you are satisfied where you are, then you need to read Paul who prayed that we all might know Christ better. What about Nicodemus? He was not content. Until the body of Christ was treated properly. He was really willing to risk his, his life, his standing among his peers, even his relationship with the Romans. As long as the world mistreats my Savior, I'm going to fight for him. There's Daniel. Discontent with unfulfilled promises from the Lord. God, you said, in 70 years, all right, they're just about up. I expect to see the fulfillment of your promise. He was not only a prophet of God, but he was a a prophet of God who was uh, discontent. As Christians, we have great potential in Christ. But we have to learn with Paul to press toward the mark for the prize of the high, high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He also said, I wish to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Wherefore, I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. He kept pushing. Why should we be discontent with our spiritual lives? Of course, it must not be for our own sake, even though it's a good thing to grow in the things of the Lord. Can't be for our personal pride. It's not about accomplishments, it must be about what might bring glory to the Savior. When Paul was in prison, I think Austin referred to this recently, or someone did. When Paul was in prison, he was confronted with the success that other preachers were have were having while he was uh, uh, so limited some of those evangelists considered Paul a rival of some sort there was a bit of competition there but not the apostle i praise god for those people who are preaching christ whoever they are wherever they are they're preaching the lord Everywhere we go in this world, we're faced with the opportunity to sin in these areas or to grow in these areas. There is religious rivalry. You didn't know that, but there is. Even among churches bearing the same denominational name. When my family first moved to Post Falls, there I believe it was there the day we moved in. There was a church on the corner of uh, Prairie and Highway 41. I could mention the name. I won't. Years ago, I heard a report that their pastor, for some reason or other, called our church the enemy. As a result, I've never really given any consideration to that church At all, whether that was true or not, I hope it wasn't true, but uh, I I accepted it as such. I I don't. I've never wished them any harm, but uh, I've just let them go on doing their own thing. And then two weeks ago, I saw that they have a fancy new building, just a few blocks from their corner property on Forty One. My guess is, they sold that very valuable piece of property, made a ton of money, and moved a little bit further away, and they built this building, which you can't see. (laughs) Uh, It looks like they're trying to become a a mega church. Uh, This is an artist's drawing of their new facility, and... uh, It looks pretty spectacular. So they have new opportunities, and they are being blessed. Instead of pushing them from my mind, as I used to do, I've changed my attitude. I have been deliberately praying for God's blessing on them. I didn't used to do that. I prayed for other Baptist churches, not them. They may or may not have more of the favor of God than we have. And to be honest, I'm tempted to envy them a little bit. But I've been fighting that temptation by earnestly praying for them. That God would fill that building. With genuinely saved people. The more, what I'm trying to say is, using myself as an example, which is always a poor thing to do. The more positive we are, the less negative we will be. Does that make sense? So I need to grow in this area. That I might grow less in this other Area. Am I satisfied with myself? Am I satisfied with my ministry? Am I satisfied with my church? Our church? No, I am not. But I am asking God not to let my dissatisfaction turn into envy or jealousy of somebody else. What happens to them doesn't affect me at all. I should be concerned about my condition mm-hmm. our condition the emotions and attitudes which we possess ought to grow out of our desire for the glory of the Lord and if the Lord is glorified in that congregation up there then I should be satisfied I, in fact I would be pleased I'd like the Lord to be glorified through me too and us There were times when Elijah felt all alone. That he was the last righteous man left in the nation. But when he prayed, asking for the Lord's manifestation on Mount Carmel, he was concerned with nothing but the glory of God at that point. And it wasn't about Elijah's doctrinal purity. It wasn't about his heritage his landmarks, his sacrifices, the sufferings that he had been hurt with before. He prayed, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. That should be our desire. We should be dissatisfied until he is glorified. Like Elijah, we should be discontent when the Lord is not glorifying himself through us and among us. Another argument for spiritual discontentment is others. When Philip first met the Savior, he was not satisfied with meeting the Savior. Until Peter could meet him too. Jesus must needs go through Samaria. He was not content with evangelizing Galilee and Judea. There's a need here in Samaria. When he looked on Jerusalem, he wept. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings And you would not. Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is they might be saved. We should not be content until we are seeing people following us to the Savior. If you're satisfied with your spiritual life, you need to be able to formulate an explanation as to why. You need to look the Lord in the face and say, here is why I'm pleased with my spiritual life. Ready to do that? Will there be a hundred others in heaven because of your witness for the Lord? Have you memorized enough scriptures? Have you preached 10,000 sermons? Is the amount of money that you have given To the work of the Lord uh, reached a certain level, and the Lord is pleased with that? Is it your faithfulness, fighting through headaches and tummy aches to be in the house of God? Is your ministry of comfort and support sufficient? Do you love the brethren as well as you should? Are there any brethren you don't particularly want to spend time with? If you were in the apostle business, would you hire yourself? Putting the question differently, if your salvation was dependent on these things, would you be saved? Your salvation is not dependent on these things. But if it was, like Paul, we should consider ourselves to be debtors. Most of the Greeks and to the barbarians, but also we're debtors to the Lord and... To our spiritual brethren. Again Paul said. Not as though I had already attained. Either we're already perfect. But I follow after. That if I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before, I press toward the mark for the high, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not content where I stand. I push toward a closer fellowship with the Savior. It should be a part of our daily devotions.